This is the season when we wait and watch and walk toward the manger in anticipation of the coming Christ child. But this season when we wait for baby Jesus is also a reminder that we live in a state of Advent, waiting and watching for Christ's triumphant return. It's just as the choir sang, even so, Lord Jesus, quickly come. So this season when we explore what it means to walk toward the light, we do so considering what it means to walk toward the light now, just as it did long ago. So listen now to our gospel lesson from the gospel of Matthew, the 24th chapter, beginning with verse 36. But about that day and hour no one knows, neither the angel of heaven nor the son, but only the father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away, so too will it be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field and one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, therefore you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. This, too, is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Help us to hear your word with fresh ears and open hearts so that we might follow the light to find you. Amen. You just heard Emmett read it. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. I'm not sure I'll ever hear it quite the same way again. I will always hear it with Emmett's voice. Advent begins with that invitation. It's a choice. A call to draw near to the light, to follow the light, eventually to walk in the light. Isaiah begins our Advent journey with an invitation. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And it's a beautiful invitation. Who doesn't want to walk in the light? The problem, of course, is that you only get invited to walk into the light if you are not already in the light. The prophet invites us into the light because our present reality is full of shadows. It was certainly true for the Israelites to whom Isaiah was writing, and it is no less true for us today. Our Advent journey cannot begin without us knowing where we are starting. And Isaiah was writing to a people with an uncertain future, who were wondering exactly which way they were supposed to go. In their context, the continued advances of the Assyrian Empire left them in a state of hardship and occupation and exile and disarray. 
This past of relative prosperity and peace was for them a distant memory, replaced by a period of anxiety and suffering. And it's into that darkness that the prophet paints this hopeful picture of their destination, the mountain of the Lord full of peace and justice. It was a kind of beacon of hope shining forth for a people who were otherwise shrouded by darkness. And as much as time and history have changed, perhaps the prophet is still speaking to us today. We don't need to spend a lot of time naming the ways that we live in the shadows like the Israelites. The news does that for us just fine. There were 14 victims of gun violence in recent weeks. Three football players at UVA, five at Club Q in Colorado, six at a Walmart in, che Walmart in Chesapeake, Virginia. Not a day goes by that if you read the news, it doesn't highlight some peril of climate change or war or political turmoil. Anti-Semitism and hate speech are at record highs, fueled by the Internet's ability to say things that most of us would never utter in the light of day. Rising prices have hit all of us, but they cause the most suffering to those with the least. It might not be the Assyrian Empire advancing, but it can feel as if there is a kind of cloud blocking the light overhead. And for those of us who prefer the light, who would prefer plug in a nightlight than to sit in any kind of darkness or contend with the darkness around, of, around us, that can leave us in a place where the world feels more than a bit overwhelming. We wish we could jump straight to that destination, the mountain of the Lord full of justice and peace. But according to Isaiah, we have work to do to get there. And our journey begins in the dark. Now, most of us have been uh, trained from a very early age to be afraid of the dark. I'm not exactly sure when I learned it, but at some point in childhood, I came to believe that the physical darkness of night is the place where fear has power. It's the place where monsters can live under your bed, where my brain can still spiral into the worst-case scenarios, where a thief can lurk outside the windows, says the Gospel of Matthew. Darkness, for most of us, is something that causes that particular chill to run up our spine. It's something we would prefer to avoid at all costs, which means that this Advent journey with Isaiah in the dark doesn't feel like a particularly warm invitation. But Barbara Brown Taylor, Episcopal preacher and author, um, she spent a year trying to embrace Isaiah's invitation in her book, Learning to Walk in the Dark. And she came to the conclusion that darkness turns out to be as essential to our physical well-being as light. She writes, we not only need plenty of darkness to sleep well, we need it to be well. And perhaps more than that, Taylor argues that the darkness that we so try to avoid because we believe it's a sign of evil or of God's absence, that's actually the space in which God is at work. In fact, it's the space where God does some of God's best work. Isaiah says the mountain will be raised up, the people will be called, they will beat their swords into plowshares. All of that 
that he describes is preparatory work to the opportunity to walk in the light of the Lord. And it's work that God does and that we're called to respond to in the dark. So on this first Sunday of Advent, darkness is where we must begin. And rather than fear it or feel overwhelmed by it, we have an opportunity to see the way that our place in the shadows gives us a unique chance to pause and let our eyes adjust, to find our bearings so that we can draw near to the light. The whole of Scripture is a kind of response to God's invitation in Isaiah, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Because the Bible tells us of a world that began as a dark and empty void, a world full of strife and slavery and sin, a people who knew exile and both spiritual and literal outer darkness. But the arc of the biblical story moves us closer and closer to the promise and light that we see in Christ. And everything that we do in Advent brings us a little bit closer each week to that glow of the manger where the light of the world, Jesus the Christ, enlightens everyone. We live this out in the next four weeks. We light one candle, then two, then three, then four. We'll decorate this sanctuary slowly, week by week. And we will tell the stories of faith, the ones that begin far off in the prophetic texts of Isaiah and get closer and closer to those familiar stories in Matthew and Luke. So the question is, how are we to begin? How are we to respond to this call to walk in the light of the Lord? How do we set forth in the darkness and how do we set our course? Perhaps Isaiah has given us plenty of clues. We look for the path that has been illumined for us by God, the one paved by justice and peace, the one where swords are being beaten into plowshares, where those are gathered to praise God and learn the way of peace. Have you ever noticed that if you go on a hike at night and you bring along a flashlight, that what you need is not to walk in the light, but to be able to follow the light. If you point the flashlight at your feet, it does you no good. We need the light out ahead of us in order to know which way to go, whether we're still on the trail or not, and to make sure we don't trip over those roots and rocks and bumps in the road. Isaiah gives us this picture of the destination, God's mountain, where peace and justice will reign. But in order to get there, We have to follow the light of God that goes before us, preparing the way. And it's a a one-step-at-a-time kind of journey. Matthew knows this too. In this morning's text, Jesus isn't reflecting back on his own birth, a story that takes place in the dark night in a stable with shepherds and wise men following stars. Jesus' text this morning is instead instructing the disciples on what is to come on his triumphant return. He's shining the flashlight out ahead as if to say, I can't tell you exactly when I will be back, but it matters whether you are on the path when I do. 
Just like the Christmas story, it takes place in the dark where the guiding light of stars are our flashlight pointing the way. God's transforming activity still takes place in the dark, literal or spiritual. And Jesus' instruction is simple. Stay awake. Stay awake not because God does not value rest, but keep awake because the path of hope to guide us forth is visible only when we realize we are in the darkness and learn to pay attention. The call to walk in the light means God has set forth a trajectory from the mess that our world is in to a mountain where peace and justice will reign. And we're invited to go on that journey with God together. I'm reminded of a story by Father Gregory Boyle that uh, some of you may have heard before. It's one of my favorites to tell. Father G, as most people call him, is a Jesuit priest. And he spent his career with gang members and former gang members in one of the roughest parts of L.A., running a ministry called Homeboy Ministries. And he tells the story of one of the homies, that's what he calls them, uh, a homie named Louie, who knew darkness in his life in so many ways. Louis had been in and out of jail. He had been in and out of rehab. And his experiences of darkness were not just these external ones, but traumas of the heart as well. And on this particular day, Father G had gone to visit Louis after the death of one of his friends from gang violence that they both knew all too well. And he expected to find Louis in a particularly dark and depressed place. But when Father G walked into the room where Louis was, he found Louis with this hopeful, even sort of joyful look on his face. He said, That's not how I expected to find you. And Louis said, Ah, I had a dream last night. I have to tell you about it. In this dream, there are two of us in a darkened room. There were no lights whatsoever, no illuminated exit signs, no light creeping in from under the doors. There was total darkness. And they didn't speak to each other, but Louis said, I knew that it was you, Father G, in the room. And silently, you pulled out a flashlight from your pocket and aimed it at the light switch across the room. He said, I don't really know what that light switch was, but I knew that I was the only one who could turn it on, but I would not have been able to get to the light switch without that beam from the flashlight, without that first light showing me the way. And when I followed that guiding beam of light, he took this deep breath in, I turned the switch on and the room was full of light. And this hardened former gang member looked at Father G with tears in his eyes, and he said, and the light is so much better than the darkness. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord, Isaiah says, because the light is so much better than our present darkness. And knowing that offers a beam of hope into a weary world and a path to light our way. Isaiah's Advent invitation does not let us skip any steps along the road. It doesn't teleport us to the manger's glow. It requires us to first admit 
that we find ourselves in the dark. And rather than allow fear and uncertainty of the world and of our lives to overwhelm us or paralyze us, it's an invitation to use these weeks to allow our eyes to acclimate to the darkness, to face the fears and anxieties that we hold, to keep awake, as Matthew says, not out of fear, but out of the possibility for what God can yet do in the dark. Because it's then that God will point the flashlight toward the light switch that each of us needs in our lives. Poet Ann Weems puts it this way. She says, too often, our answer to the darkness is not running toward Bethlehem, but running away. We ought to know by now that we can't see where we're going in the dark. Running is rampant. Separation is stylish. Separation from mates, from friends, from self. Run and tranquilize. Don't talk about it. Avoid, she writes. Run away and join the army of those who have already run away. When are we going to learn that Christmas peace comes only when we turn and face the darkness? For only then will we be able to see the light of the world. May it be so. Amen.